Hello and welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Each month on Fitter and Faster, we tackle one triathlon training topic in depth, giving you everything you need to know. This month, we're talking about what some folks often call the fourth discipline of triathlon, and that's nutrition. We'll be chatting with sports nutritionist Scott Tyndall on all aspects of fueling and nutrition. What are the basics? Why is it so important? What are some of the most common mistakes that he sees athletes making? And why is there just so much confusion out there about what to eat and when? We'll be chatting through all of these things, plus plenty more. And of course, it would not be fitter and faster without our gear up section. So we'll have our executive editor and gear guru, Chris Foster, joining us later. And in this show, he turns the tables on me in what is probably our funniest gear guru segment yet. Um, Of course, we also hope it's informative too. But more from us after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership includes two magazine subscriptions, two books from Velo Press, exclusive content not just on Triathlete but across all our brands like Velo News, Backpacker and Yoga Journal, online courses like meditation classes from Yoga Journal and meal plans from Clean Eating, event and gear discounts, access to Gaia GPS and one Finisher Picks photo package each year. Outside Plus is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how and how-tos. Find out more at triathlete.com forward slash outside plus. That's triathlete.com forward slash outside plus. Scott Tyndall is a sports nutritionist who takes great pride in helping athletes from all walks of life. He has worked in performance nutrition with athletes at the very top of their game in sports such as hockey, rugby and sailing, but more recently has turned his focus to triathlon and endurance sports, working with a number of age group and pro triathletes to help them live their healthiest lives and unlock their performance potential. Based down in Sydney, Australia, he is the co-founder and developer of nutrition company Fuel In, where he likes to combine his real world experience with his research driven approach. He also happens to be a super fun and well-informed guy who loves keeping up to date on all the latest news in the fueling and nutrition space. Don't take my word for it, though. Find out more in our chat with Scott. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Fitter and Faster. We are stoked to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Very nice to finally get to uh, see you face to face, EK. Yeah, I know we were just commenting that we've known each other a while and we, we've never actually, uh, it's always been via email, right? And we've never actually seen each other's faces. So uh, yes, yep. hello, Scott, and uh, and good to good to connect. And this, I think this is the closest we get to connecting right now, uh, given that I'm in Boulder and you are in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, I think it's, it's just a, a fact of the world we live in these days that uh, it is wonderful that we can connect with people uh, on all corners of the world and uh, potentially never meet them in person, but definitely still be able to build a, a very meaningful relationship. So it's uh, it's fantastic to be on this today. Yeah, yeah. And you've, uh, uh, over the years you've written, or over the last sort of couple of years anyway, you've written um, a fair bit of, fair, fair amount of content for us on triathlete.com um, around nutrition and fueling. And it's obviously a huge topic. And uh, before we came online today, we were both talking about the fact that it's almost overwhelming the topic of nutrition and um and even like as, as i admitted to you like as i came to a sort of write mm. some talking points and questions for us ahead of the show i was like 
man, you know, I know my fair share about my nutrition, but like, where do we even start here? So let's start there, you know, <laughs> and uh, what's, what's your experience been of, of helping guide athletes and, and triathletes specifically, I guess, around this topic and, and what sort of level of confusion do you see and hear about? Yeah, I, th- I think it, it is a very, uh, whether it's a controversial or whether it's a confusing topic, it's still, I guess that's up for grabs. But I think the the confusion lays probably in, in a number of areas in that I think nowadays everyone has a voice, don't they? <laughs> probably first and foremost. Yeah. And, and that voice yeah. can be uh, displayed uh, on a number of mediums. And depending on how, uh, how many likes or how many followers you have, that voice can be very, very loud despite having mm. very little knowledge. Uh, so I think first and foremost, that's probably where a lot of the confusion actually lies, unfortunately. Um, so, right. you know, what I would say to most people is check where your sources are coming from. Um, yeah. Check where that information is actually uh, being sourced from. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I've joked about this before, but when anyone is saying, I've done my research, well, no, you probably read some abstracts and you probably read a couple right. of um, conclusions in a few papers. And the people who are doing the research, they're mm-hmm. the ones who probably know. Now, I, I'm not a researcher, but I can mm-hmm. read research and I do mm-hmm. understand a, a, a scientific paper. And, you know, so listen to the people who potentially have, you know, it's not to say as well, if you've got a, you know, degree and whatever that you're an expert, it's, uh, you know, take a, take a balanced view on that and, and listen to the people or, and, you know, take a, a wide varied, um, you know, amount of information from people that you potentially can trust is, is probably a good way of starting to identify what nutrition uh, advice should be adhered to. Uh, and, and yeah. certainly I would look towards, people with at least a, a background in science and mm-hmm. uh, and sticking to scientific principles. And again, it's not, and this is probably where the confusion lies, is, you know, a, a lack of evidence isn't necessarily evidence of lack of effect as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there doesn't, there isn't research out there for everything, uh, unfortunately. Right. And, right. and that's, that's what's really cool because there's going to be more evidence that comes out. And yeah, a really good example of that and is just that there hasn't actually been that much research done on triathletes in terms of practice. Right. It's still very young as yeah. you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, it's still a pretty young sport. And yeah. exactly and academia often lags behind real world real world, you know, um, but in the field experience too. And oftentimes it's academia that proves something that maybe maybe many elite pro athletes have known for years, but not not always the case, obviously, but um yeah, oh, I would 100% agree with that. And it's, uh, and again, like think of if we go back to the confusion, I think a lot of the information that people will read and athletes will read, they, they forget the context of that information. So yeah. a good example of that is potentially carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the research in relation to carbohydrate fueling is done with cyclists. Now, mm-hmm. cyclists, a great group to study uh, and it, it's very important to understand what their ability to tolerate carbohydrates is and the form of carbohydrates which is usually used is a liquid carbohydrate mm-hmm. now that's fine if you're in a stable position on a bike but what's yeah. not necessarily studied is the run off the bike and mm-hmm. what happens with that type of carbohydrate 
which is consumed in extremely high amounts for a cyclist yeah. to then go transition into a run off the bike with that mechanical stress. And then yeah. what happens? So it's all well and good to get into those 100, 120 grams an hour with liquid carbs mm -hmm. on a cyclist and see how that improves performance from a cycling yeah. standpoint. But what happens to that cyclist when they get off the bike with 120 grams of carbs in the form of a hypertonic solution and then go to run off? Now, there hasn't been that much research performed on triathletes in that respect. And that's where it probably comes down to, okay, what's the practical knowledge here? We know that if you have a gut full of hypertonic solution and you go into a run, you're probably going to end up with, uh, you know, GI distress and and probably mm -hmm. end up with a toilet and that's going to slow you down significantly. So, you know, sure th does. Think, think about context when you are reading this research. And the same could be said, you know, fasting is such a, a topic at the moment isn't it it's been a topic for the last God, 12 months at least probably beyond yeah, that more but, more yeah, yeah yeah but think of fasting and yes it has a hell of a lot of health benefits but also think of the context of what you're trying to do as a triathlete and that's be a high performing mm -hmm. triathlete and yeah. and this probably gets into a question i know we're going to cover is like you know the distinction between health and performance and can yeah. you can you be healthy and still perform at a very yes. high level and yeah i think yeah you can uh but it is a, it's a fantastic sort of segue into that yeah and before i mean yeah we could we could go into all, all kinds of rabbit holes here i think <laughs> you know we could be we could potentially have a five-hour podcast but um but before we get into into the weeds of some of those things i think it would be really helpful and interesting for i mean i have my ideas about the difference between nutrition and fueling mm -hmm. um and and for me i've always I've always, and I was always taught, um, like nutrition and diet is what we eat outside of training in our day-to-day -day lives. And fueling is what we consume, is the liquids, gels, chews, bars, the, the calories and hydration that we consume during training and racing. Um, and is that, is that how you view it? I mean, where do you, where do you sit on that? Um, I probably don't view it in that way. I don't want to be controversial, but uh, no, 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 totally. That's why. Um, that's why we're here. I guess in terms of you know, like our company. I guess our company is called Fuel In. So you know, we we view fuel as just effectively what you're putting into your body, and you know, you can put fuel in that maximizes health or and or performance, and neither is necessarily good nor bad. And so I think when we're thinking about, and certainly myself, when I'm thinking about nutrition i'm thinking about well what is that nutrition or that fuel that's going in and what is the purpose of it mm -hmm. so i think like people will define foods as good and bad and i don't necessarily think that's a good way of thinking about food especially as an athlete because mm -hmm. some food that could be defined as bad is actually the thing that's going to make them perform the best i.e. Right. glucose, um, carbohydrates, yeah. gels. You know. yeah. Yet yeah. would I be recommending sucking back on gels every single day and as part of your daily nutrition? No. So it's it's yeah. fuel for a purpose. And I think I think if you can start, you know, what I would recommend to most athletes is is thinking about context of what it is you're mm -hmm. aiming to achieve. Mm -hmm. And and that may be a better way of thinking about food in 2022. And, and mm -hmm. that shift in mindset could be the thing that actually allows them to really perform or be actually at their healthiest and therefore perform at their absolute best. Because, uh, yeah. again, like I will talk about this and Phil Lim will talk about this, like a healthy athlete is a high-performing athlete. And, right. Or that's our opinion. And so 
the food that you eat on a daily basis, whether that is lots of vegetables, that is still fuel because those vegetables yep. are going to contain lots of fiber. That fiber is going to be beneficial to the foundations of a healthy gut. The healthy gut is then going to help fuel pretty much every process in your body. It's going to have mm-hmm. run-on effects to the brain. Um you then go down the line of you know good quality proteins, and we don't eat protein; we eat food. But you're you're sourcing uh, good quality food that contains excellent amounts of uh, lean proteins, uh, good quality fats. Uh, again, in the form of food that is going to be fueling the body for health first and foremost, and then secondly, mm-hmm. with the purpose of you know Im- improving performance by replenishing. Uh, ensuring that your protein intake is on point so that muscle protein synthesis or at least muscle protein breakdown is attenuated. In terms of fat, that fat intake is going to be helping with hormonal uh, control and the hormonal systems, especially if we're talking female athletes, Uh, but Mm -hmm. certainly should not exclude males when we're talking about hormonal issues and and deficiencies in uh, fueling that can result in, uh, if we talk about REDS, uh, and so it, it is, in my opinion, I think you think of, just think of fuel and what the purpose of yeah. that is. Yeah. Okay. So we're, uh, and you're saying there like fuel, regardless of, regardless of its purpose, well, fuel's primary purpose then for athletes, for, for the general population, whomever, it's obviously health and well-being and vitality and, and wellness. And then as if you're an athlete, an endurance athlete, the secondary purpose is to fuel training, to fuel training, to, to fuel recovery, to fuel performance. Um, yep. So, you know, is that, is that where you're, that's where you, that's what I'm hearing you're, you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, you're fueling for everyday life and for health yeah. purposes, and then you're fueling yep. for the act of performing potentially at very high intensities for a very long time. And then yeah. lastly, fueling for recovery to enable you to then repeat that. And I think that's, again, the triathlete population is such a unique population, I think, to study. And hopefully there's a lot more research coming out on them because, you know, they're doing three disciplines regularly and in fairly high volume and fairly high intensity majority of the time what I see. And, you know, it's amazing to be able to put all that together and actually do it repetitively day in, day out. Um, so yeah, it, it, and perhaps more importantly there, like day in, day out, year in, year out too. If you're looking at this, if you're looking at your career, whether you're an age grouper, whether you're, you know, a a top end pro, like, you know, this is all about lifestyle. It's all about longevity. It's all about enjoying it and feeling good and getting the most from performance. Um, and so obviously like when you're saying like his health first, everything else follows, you're only really going to be able to. You're only going to be able to be consistent over a period of seasons and years if you've got that healthy, you know, that healthy relationship with food and healthy diet and healthy healthy fueling habits. Yep. And I was listening. Uh, Lauren Bannock, uh, who's a, he owns another podcast. I was listening. To him. I know him from England days when I used to live in London, and you know, it's that short term gains, long term damage, where. If yeah. You, if you focus on the short term too much and disregard the long term ramifications of what you might be doing, that damage could just be long lasting and actually result. You could have a good season, but then eventually yeah. you might break down. And I think you see yeah. this 
in the really, really good athletes, whether you're a pro yeah. or an amateur or a successful age grouper, it's the ones who focus on the big picture uh, mm-hmm. and, and do the fundamentals really, really well. And I think, again, this, okay, you come back to, you know, what do I think about nutrition? I don't think it's that complicated sometimes though. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like honestly, like, you know, you eat, you eat food, you, you think about, you know, you have a basic understanding of the principles of what is required and then you just do it repetitively. And I think mm-hmm. the thing that's missed in nutrition that, and I'm sure we'll get into the mistakes we often see, but you know, the focus on everything else apart from nutrition, yet the mm-hmm. nutrition part could be that missing link in yeah. actually producing some phenomenal results. And and certainly from a practical standpoint, I've seen that and we've seen that as a company. Yeah. And so uh, maybe, and so I guess it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on what you, so if you're thinking about the, the day-to-day, you know, and you're saying like, it's actually not that confusing. So then what does the, what should the day-to-day look like? And I know you're, and I know you're a big fan of just not focusing on one macro, which by, you know, and by that we mean like not, not one macronutrient, i.e. like fat, protein or carbs. Uh, what does, in order to get it right, what does the day, what does good day-to-day fueling look like? And, and it's a great question. And just before like we get into that, I just, I was saying to you before off air, like I just did a a little really quick, just search on, uh, on PubMed, which is where you generally read research papers. And, uh, I just did a quick one about nutrition and, uh, triathletes. And I thought a really interesting paper, which I think is really good for the listeners to hear is, is about, um, it was a paper done in 2016. It was comparison of post-exercise nutrition knowledge and post-exercise carbohydrate and protein intake between Australian masters and younger triathletes. And, and I, I, I just think it's really important to just think about like some of the the abstract and the summary of the findings and that they reported like from the masters to the younger triathletes respectively you know 40 43% of them answered i don't know when i when they were asked to identify the recommended post exercise carbohydrate and protein intakes respectively and mm-hmm. and i think that's like nearly 50% of nearly 200 triathletes uh, with a good split of male to female, probably 50%, mm-hmm. didn't actually understand or know how much protein or how much carbohydrate they should be taking after exercising. Now, yeah. I just think that's staggering. And now, again, that was five years ago. Maybe everyone's up their knowledge in the last five years because of podcasts like yours. But, um, you know, we can only wish that and we can only hope that as practitioners, we are educating people better um yeah yet i think what's refreshing there is for athletes don't don't despair you're not alone 50 percent of athletes mm-hmm. probably have no idea um and, yeah. and you're probably winging it so uh to that point you know try back to the very start of the podcast try and listen to people who actually may have an idea and then root, you know root around that information and find what the common threads are and eventually you'll find you know the the recommendations that will work for you yeah yeah and and uh you and you are a advocate of making sure you've got a good balance a good healthy balance of fats yeah proteins fats proteins carbs obviously fruits veggies um are, are there any kind of high level recommendations that you make for you know in terms of those those macronutrients well isn't it i mean it's always interesting i think like again 
we talk about research and we talk about triathletes and we talk about the confusion in, um, you know, nutrition is that usually the emphasis is being placed on one macronutrient and we only have to go back, you know, number of years and the big focus was carbohydrates. And then the focus came to, to fat, obviously with, you know, big push on ketogenics and ketogenic mm -hmm. diets and uh, high fat, low carb uh, benefits of that and so on, and whether there are any or not in terms of health benefits versus performance benefits. And now what we're seeing in endurance athletes is a focus on protein. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's fantastic. And that's because emerging evidence has come out that, you know, protein is actually essential for uh, endurance athletes to be consuming. Yet I think, go back to what you're saying, like not one of those macronutrients is going to make you a really good triathlete. A triathlete right it's a combination right. of all three because all three yep. serve different purposes for the athlete in terms of what is happening in their body you know protein will be supporting recovery in terms of muscle tendon bone uh every mm -hmm. pretty much cellular structure uh is, is protein uh mm -hmm. fat is going to obviously help with uh, total caloric intake which is important but importantly it's going to help with hormonal function and then you have your carbohydrates, which, you know, for everyone knows that they're energy and, and they're going yeah. to be very important when it comes to high intensity exercise and race pace type exercise, but also allowing for recovery as well in terms of liver, liver glycogen, muscle glycogen replenishment, which then allows you to perform your exercise again and again and again. So, yeah, you know, you cannot focus on one over the other in in my opinion and that, that's my opinion but that's probably based yeah. on the scientific research no 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 i i wholeheartedly agree and it's and it's just been interesting though that over the year over years many years there has been you know there was a time when car everybody was like no you mustn't eat carbs and <laughs> then it was all like no you mustn't eat these fats and you must eat these fats and then it's like yeah eat you know make sure you've got a yeah, 30 grams of protein, blah, blah, blah. And it, so it's like there is this kind of wave of trends, which I guess also is a little bit uh, indicative of the trends that we see coming out of research and academia, obviously. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, like carbs got such a bad, bad press, you know, a few years ago and everybody became like low, like low carbs or no carbs, which like for endurance athletes, I just think is like, oh man, alarm, all the alarms going off, which I'm sure, and I know that's the case in, in, you know, in terms of your philosophy and, and outlook. Yeah. Um, I mean, you talk about trends and, and the interesting thing about research is research can only generally focus on one area as well. And I think people forget that. So when you read a study based on, you know, high fat, low carb, the focus mm -hmm. is on that particular area and it, it's, yeah. You know, they, unfortunately, research does have its limitations as well. And and then you talk, yeah. you know, you you talk about the no carb sort of, you know, uh, what would you call it, ideology that went through for a period of time. And I think it's coming around now where people are like, yeah. oh, maybe I don't perform so well with no carbs, and I do need some carbs. And you know, to your yeah. point, you mentioned protein, fat, carbs, and then you mentioned fruit, vegetables, and I. And I know people will be like, he always says this, but I'm always astounded that people don't actually know that vegetables are carbohydrates. And, and right. so people yeah. say, no. Some of them are actually quite high sources of carbohydrates yeah. too. Well, know? that's the beautiful thing about food, isn't it? Food can have many varying roles and varying forms that actually perform, you know, that can provide you with a, a huge 
uh, varied sort of amount of nutrition. So you you said there, like, you know, if you're eating all the cruciferous vegetables, uh, things like broccoli and kale and spinaches and uh, lettuces and things like that, you're, you're getting a low amount of carbohydrates with a high amount of water and a high amount of fiber. Now, they're going to be mm-hmm. very good to fill you up from a micronutrient mm-hmm. standpoint. They're very good for your health. Um, from a caloric standpoint, not necessarily as good, but if you're trying to achieve an improvement in body composition, they could be something that could be used in vast amounts. Like, you know, you're talking a plate full to the brim with this to keep you feeling uh, satisfied and satiated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yet still providing you with some carbohydrates. But then you go into things like root vegetables, uh, which are slightly higher glycemic load, contain more carbohydrates, right through to things like fruit, which fruit is fantastic. Again, people will be like, he always talks about fruit. But, um, you know, fruit, <laughs> fruit should not be shamed. And especially if you're- No, if we're, you're, we're not about fruit shaming here. Oh, don't shame fruit. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> as I, I was talking to- um, I was talking to someone else about this and I was like, you know, fruit will not, I, I, I will struggle to ever believe that fruit will make you fat. It, it's not the banana. It's not oh. the oranges that are making you fat. It's everything else around that. If that's what your problem is. So don't, don't, you know, we, you see these crazy posts on Instagram and things like that, where it's like, you know, bananas are bad for you. It's like, really? I'm pretty sure it's the, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's the cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think, if you really think, if you're really in a place where you think bananas are bad for you, then well, you're in a pretty bad place. It's probably, it's probably time to delete Instagram. I'd say, you know, hey, I don't want to go out there and be too controversial, but um, no. So, but, uh, the, but also, like, oh, oh, go on. Yeah. So you you talk about carbohydrates and and what happened, and then you talk about like health, and and you know when you start to see and for the when we talked about like relative energy def- deficiency in sports, so that REDS, that syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found interesting the other day was I just put something up on Instagram saying, does any, does um, yes or no, like one of those polls you do, like can you tell me, do you understand what REDS is? And 65, I think it was, I think it was 65% of people said no. And I think that's a really yeah. important topic to talk about just if, if we can because Reds is a real thing and it's a real thing for males and females. And yeah, I was reading a, a really cool paper by Nicola Kia and or Key, and I'm um, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, Nicola, but I think her infographic of what they're trying to do with Reds and explain it in terms of that intentional sort of low energy intake versus the unintentional, and then you have the intentional unintentional. Uh, to talk about like how REDS is affecting these people. And so you talk about the intentional low energy availability and they're the people who purposely restrict food and maybe have an eating disorder um, and that that is causing issues. Sorry, do you want to jump in? Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say like yep. one of the questions I was going to ask you was like what are some of the biggest mistakes or the most common mistakes that you see triathletes making? And I was pretty sure this is – one of the answers you were going to come back with um because you know unfortunately in in triathlon and in the endurance uh, sports world generally like disordered eating or eating disorders is something that occurs far too often and i think that's often in the pursuit of i think people can get lost in that in that yeah in that place in the in the pursuit of high performance or in the pursuit of goals 
instead of focusing, it kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about just focusing on the day-to-day -day <clears throat> basics. You can get lost in just like chasing numbers, whether that's like a body fat comp, fat percentage or a weight on the scale or whatever, instead of focusing on, am I eating well? Am I refueling well? Am I, you know, am I eating all the things, you know, a balanced diet essentially. Um, but how, in your experience, and working, obviously you've worked with a fair, fair number of endurance athletes and triathletes, like how do we, how do people end up in that place? And how, or rather maybe I should phrase it as how do we prevent people from getting to that place? Yeah, it's such an interesting, it's a massive topic, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, the mistakes, yeah. you talk about the mistakes I see and we see is that, you know, people, if I was to list them off, I would say like people pay too much attention to equipment first and foremost and not enough attention to themselves. So they're happy to spend $15,000 on a bike to lose 250 grams, but they don't actually yeah. understand that they could lose maybe seven kilos of body fat and actually, you know, have a much more meaningful impact, not only on performance, but probably on their health. So I think that's yes. really important to understand. I think not establishing baselines. Now, Again, you talk about numbers and, and potentially where numbers can become problematic, but numbers can also be very useful, I think, from an education standpoint. And I think this, like, um, the, what's the word I'm searching for? The, the way in which an athlete goes about improving health is probably by improving their knowledge. Now, that, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the sliding scale of that, you know, between obsession and knowledge and understanding it is it is very close like and it can become problematic if people do become too obsessed with numbers but i do believe numbers can serve a purpose especially in the early days of providing education to that athlete mm -hmm. so if we talk about baselines we might talk about establishing like actually if someone wants to lose weight and weight isn't always the best thing to be focusing on if someone wants to lose weight because they believe it will improve their performance. Well, let's establish a baseline on that and actually first work out whether it will help help their health. So something like a DEXA scan, uh, a full, it's a full body X-ray, would give you a very good measure of subcutaneous and uh, visceral fat, the fat around your organs. Now that that mm -hmm. measure, if you if you have uh, a large amount, you know, over a hundred uh, centimeters cubed of um, you know, visceral fat, then I would say to you, yeah, you probably need to think about losing some some fat in your body mm -hmm. because actually from a health perspective, you're far more at risk of cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, um, you know, cerebral vascular accidents, so on. So I think it's not about fat shaming. It's just saying, hey, you potentially do need to lose some weight because actually it's going to help you probably live a younger and healthier life first and foremost and inadvertently yeah. by losing that body fat you're probably now going to actually start performing better and run better because you're actually a little bit lighter so and you know if you don't have access to things like that you can do a simple waist measurement um, and compare that to your height it should roughly be 50 percent um, you know that's a very inexpensive way of actually you know potentially quantifying do you need to lose some body fat and we talk about body composition mm -hmm. rather than weight and mm -hmm. how important that may be just to your health so i think yeah you know those baselines whatever baselines you go how scientific you go i think it is important to understand where you're starting and where you want to head to because if you just say oh i need to lose weight you know why 
I always come back to why. Why do you need to do yeah. this? And why are you yeah. doing this? And go go talk about nutrition. Why are you doing low carb? Like yeah. ask yourself that if you're trying to win Kona, you mm-hmm. you know, and I know people will say, oh, but there are people out there who did low carb and they won Kona. I can think of one guy in particular, but he doesn't go low carb all the time. He might use yeah. carbohydrate periodization and they don't, you know, you don't have to smack down gels and blocks every single session, but you need to train that at some point in time in your training yeah. in order to perform at your best because I can guarantee you those athletes that are winning their age groups and pro athletes that are winning Kona, they're not doing low carb and they're certainly not doing it on the yeah. day. <laughs> And it also brings me back to also what you said earlier about they might be they might do it they might get away with it for one year oh, yeah. or, or a couple of seasons back to back and they've got their name in lights for a couple of years and then boom we might see all kinds of stress fractures or or I don't know you know you you can you, there's a laundry list of injuries or issue health issues that might come off the back of that so yeah um, heaps. and it's interesting there you know as we start talking about mistakes again you came back it was interesting to me that the first thing you said was highlighting health over anything else you know like let's look at let's look at some of the basic baselines that you might want to concentrate on it comes back to health first and everything else follows yep um and that that should be that should be i think everyone's mantra like yeah you know our mantra is do no harm so i think everything we're recommending is like you know it's based around sound principles and i think that should be like you talk about okay let's talk about other baselines like blood tests we're not talking blood type diets here like anyone who's doing a blood type diet needs to have a serious look in the mirror because you know the research just doesn't support them and you know you see again we're in january aren't we we're in the new year everyone's doing detoxes and all the rubbish (laughs) that has absolutely no effect uh well it may have an effect because let's think of a detox or a you know a cleanse what are you doing you're just not eating so what's going to happen your weight is going to drop off duh like i mean it's pretty obvious if you don't eat, you're going to drop some weight, but it's not necessarily going to be in, you may be dropping lean muscle mass because you're actually just starving yourself. And and that's yeah. not going to be a long-term solution. So you need to look at incremental changes and things that are yeah. sustainable and they're habitual. So what habits can you implore, you know, starting January that are actually going to take you through to the rest of the season and beyond? Um, and then, yeah. and that's really, and that's much harder to do though, isn't it? So nobody likes doing that because it's like, oh, that sounds like hard work. Um, yeah. you know, and, and again, you'd go back to like today, like today's society probably is hard graft and actually doing things consistently and constantly it's, it's like repetitive and people don't necessarily like to do repetitive things that take a little bit of effort. And, you know, unfortunately, I hate hate to say it, but that's probably what's required. Uh, Whether you're in the gym or, you know, think of gym. I love how triathletes are now lifting weights. Like it's so good. I mean, my background's obviously from rugby originally where as a player or as uh, working as a sports medicine practitioner within that to, you know, intermittent sports like America's Cup sailing and things like that where, you know, very focused on gym work and now you're seeing yes. you're seeing triathletes lifting weights and it's like yes this is so cool 
Um, yeah, and actually, yeah, that was that was uh, our last show was uh, with Nate Helming, who's a strength and conditioning coach, and, so uh, and you know, obviously, and lifting lifting heavy lifting heavy weights is, and obviously at this time of year, for us in the in the northern hemisphere at this time of year, that's a big focus. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was answering questions earlier today uh, from some readers about um, what how they should refuel after big lifting sessions and whether it should be any any different or any you know whether the refueling and recovery foods that they eat should be any different to the foods they eat after an aerobic run or a bike ride or whatever. Um, so I'm interested to get your take on that, actually, if you want to, I know we're switching tracks a little bit, no, but no, um, cool. as, it, as it's, as it's, as it's come up, you know, it's popped into my brain. I was like, yeah, wh I wonder what you think about that. Cause protein is obviously important in the, in the muscle synthesis and muscle recently resynthesis process. Yep. So um, yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. Uh, and again, like I think you you could get into the weeds of this, into uh, like the research, but if you start to keep things simple and you start to think about your 24-hour day intake and your weekly intake and doing that really well, that's probably going to have a much better result than focusing on potentially particular sessions and do you need to do things like really, really to the to the precise sort of grams and things like that so i would certainly say that you know post training uh especially lifting weights you you want to consume protein and depending on your body size mm -hmm. you know you're probably going to be consuming somewhere between 25 and 40 grams of protein now yeah would i recommend that after a hard aerobic session as well yeah i probably would because yeah if we're looking at your total amount of protein throughout the day and say you're a you know if you're a very light athlete whether it be male or female your total amount of protein isn't going to be necessarily that high it might be you know if you're 50 kilos it might be 120 grams in the day which again a lot of triathletes or uh, female athletes especially who are lighter go wow 120 grams that's quite a lot um it is yeah but yeah so therefore if you're thinking about that and you go okay well i've got 120 grams to eat in a day how can i manage that so i'm going to have three main meals at least so okay that and then maybe i'll have two snacks so that's five meals so then you're saying okay well i'm going to aim for at least 25 grams mm -hmm. per meal or per feed if you want to think about it in feeds um mm -hmm. to get that amount in and that's a really easy strategy to do and therefore you're ticking the box of maximizing muscle protein synthesis whether it's after a, a weights training session or after an aerobic session, you're maximizing the potential to recover from a, a breakdown perspective. And that's that's mm -hmm. really cool. And then if you're a heavier athlete and say you're 100 kilos, okay, you're suddenly requiring 200 to, you know, anywhere from 200 to 250 grams of protein. Suddenly, all you do is just bump up those amounts. So it might be 40 grams per meal and you're getting that in. Now, sp yeah. specifically to, you know, is there a difference between uh, – applying like protein and carbohydrates afterwards again you're probably looking at your total amount of carbohydrates across the day and what's required for that day as opposed yeah. to specifically saying oh i need to actually have this amount of carbohydrates you know specifically at this point of time now you may have a smaller amount after a particular session because actually your total amount allows for you to then focus on having a larger amount after another session so that's where that's where like yes if you did a really hard aerobic session and you potentially had another session coming up 
you would certainly aim to con- consume higher amounts of carbohydrates at that point in time. And likewise, yes. because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to replenish your stores and it's not going to be perfect because it takes a bit more longer than obviously a few hours, but you're, you're trying to replenish those stores and maximize recovery from the session you just did whilst also allowing you to go into the next session fueled appropriately to perform at your absolute best for that. And so, yeah, that's an important, that's an important point to make. And I think that's one that sometimes triathletes miss is that you're not consuming fuel just purely for that workout that you're, that you're about to execute hmm. your perform, you're, you're consuming fuel in order to fuel that workout, recover from it and make the adaptations from that session. And then go forward into the next workout well fueled and ready to execute that so it's kind of like um t- yeah i guess like looking at everything through a short short lens versus a long lens yeah. you know like uh Absolutely. you gotta you gotta be looking down the road versus just like focusing on this work the workout ahead of you yep and it's such an important point uh emma because what people forget is actually also what's happening the next day and so mm. they're, they're fueling for that day and they're like, oh, okay, I did a hard session or I didn't do actually the, the really classic example is, you know, Friday, they do very low volume on a Friday, potentially. I see this a lot where it's planned out very low volume, pretty low intensity, maybe one short, sharp session on that. And so they fail to eat the amount that actually is required for the next day where they've cl- yeah. classically got a four and a half hour bike ride with maybe a, a 30 to 45 minute runoff the bike. Yep. And they haven't seen that that actual session on the Saturday should be appropriately potentially carb loaded on the Friday to practice carb loading for what is essentially a race type session where they could be using that yeah. Friday to practice carb loading for a race, the morning of that long session, practicing their race day meal, and then going into that session and actually practicing race day nutrition. And and yes. because they've failed to view the following 24 hours, they underfuel the day before and they have a terrible session and they're like, God, things aren't improving. Whereas if they went, okay, yeah. maybe I need to really bump up my carbohydrate intake in particular on the Friday before that long session, oh, wow, I do that Saturday session so well now and I recover really well so that I can actually do something on Sunday. It's a game changer. Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that, that we've just now landed on the topic of uh, carbo loading because carb loading because – you know, back in the 90s, I think back to the 90s, right, when I was uh, I was a swimmer, I was a competitive swimmer, and carb loading meant, like, literally eating as much pasta as you possibly <laughs> could. And, it, and that was just like, and then I think back to it now, and it's like, oh, man, that was so gross. But there are, there are still people who do that. Um, but what, what does that phrase carb loading mean to you? So two-part question here for you, Scott. What does carb loading mean to you? And how much carbs should we be eating, as in, per like, grams per per kilogram body weight or pounds, however you however you want to do it, whatever yeah. um, units you want to use. <laughs> it's always, the units is confusing, isn't it, for everyone? Um, that, well, that's yeah. that's well, probably I'll where sure a lot of the problems lie as well. People get confused between pounds and, and you know, metric and imperial, and if only the world would come to, uh, you know, even calories and kilojoules, it's like, oh, God, can't we just have one system? 
Um, well, I'll make it. I'll make it all abundantly clear in our show notes, so that wherever you are, whichever side of the pond or whichever side of the world you're on, everybody has a good understanding. Because I, I know I have to be bilingual in these things, having uh, living in America but being a Brit. So um, yes, yeah, but yeah, cu- yeah, go, cab, uh, go for it with the loading before we get into all kinds of other cultural uh, conversations. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, carb loading traditionally was done over a period of five, five to seven days with a period of low carbohydrate availability, then going into huge amounts of carbohydrates as you stressed and usually in the form of pasta. I think more recently it's it, it's been recognized and studied that you don't need that amount of time to actually effectively um, you know, superload the, the liver and the muscle glycogen uh, stores because they are um, they're not infinite. Uh, there is a, there is a point at which you know those top up levels can be reached, but you can actually maximize that store by doing a carbohydrate load. So generally speaking, we would recommend at least twenty four hours um, that you mm-hmm. would want to be loading. I think practically speaking, you certainly want to be starting to up your carbohydrate intake forty eight hours out from a race. Now, what does that mean? I would probably be saying, look, you're aiming at least 48 hours out. You're starting to aim for that sort of five grams per kilo of body weight or a little bit above um, 48 hours before and just start to eat that amount. So if you're a 50 kilo athlete, you're starting to get 250 grams of carbohydrates in. And it's important to note that 250 grams of carbohydrates is not 250 grams of pasta because the <laughs> pasta is a form of carbohydrate and contains carbohydrates, but it's not 100% carbohydrates. And dried right. pasta versus cooked pasta is also a different um, you know, scenario. So dried pasta, generally speaking, you'll get somewhere like 70 or 80% of carbohydrates from that. So if you've got 100 grams of dried pasta, you'll generally get around 70 grams of carbohydrates. So you start to do the math around that and you're like, okay, so if I need 250 grams, what is that? Four sevens, 28, roughly, you know, 400 grams of pasta or something like that, which is dried pasta, which is a lot of pasta over the course of a day. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then as you come into the 24 hours before, uh, a race day scenario or a training day scenario where you're thinking about carb loading, you're, I would certainly recommend at least six grams per kilo body weight. Now, mm-hmm. traditionally, there has been sort of notions of like eight, 10 grams per kilo body weight. And I've played around with this with professional athletes and age group athletes. And when you get into sort of the really high amounts, like 10 grams per kilo body weight, I actually think it just results in A, the athlete feeling pretty sick um, yeah. and not necessarily having huge performance benefits, but also when you start to carb load in those amounts, you will retain water. And so you will retain mm-hmm. weight. Now, again, if you come back to what is most athletes trying to do, they're trying to keep their weight down. It, it could have some negative effects, maybe potentially just more psychological than anything that, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly they've put on three kilos overnight and they're like freaking out the next day. So, you know, I think somewhere around that six grams per kilo body weight um, is a good amount of carbohydrates to load with. And that loading, you, you mentioned like, you know, pasta and that, but actually pasta and rice and bread um, is actually probably the the types of foods you want to be going for from a higher glycemic load type perspective because 
that has a, a lower amount of fiber in it. And so th- yes. those 24 to 48 hours before the race, you want to be trying to reduce that fiber intake. And the reason for that is just purely from uh, the standpoint of your gut. You want to be reducing the total amount of stuff inside you. And yeah, and, fiber and I'm guessing that water. The, yeah, and, I, and I'm guessing that as a, as a sports nutritionist who was obviously helping a lot of triathletes, that GI distress, gastrointestinal distress is something that you hear a lot about, right? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, heaps. That's, and, and, I mean, everything, and, everything uh, that we work towards is, you know, trying to improve GI distress in athletes and through certain nutritional strategies that can be implemented. And, um, and it, it works. It, it's not, bullet, yeah, it's not so, bulletproof, but it, it does work. Yeah. I mean, and obviously you just mentioned one of those being like reducing fiber and going for low, low fiber foods ahead of um, over high fiber foods, especially as you go into a race. Uh, that's not obviously not always, that's, that's not in everyday life and daily, you know, day-to-day training, but are there are what, what would be your other tips for people who are maybe really struggling with that? Um, maybe it's in training, maybe it's in racing, like when it comes to GI distress, what are the, what are the other things that you've seen really work with your athletes? Yeah, and and just to that point on fiber, and again, people, anyone who's heard me talk is, um, you you certainly want to consume fiber on the morning of a race or the morning of a long intense session because that's actually protective to the gut lining, so that and that's mm-hmm. often missed by people. So consuming fiber, and again, we don't eat fiber unless you're using a fiber supplement, but you know something like oats, oatmeal is a very good. Um, you know, breakfast food or pre-training um, meal to consume, which contains good amounts of carbohydrates, but also a good amount of fiber um, prior mm-hmm. to, which which could actually result in performance of um, improved performance once that race gets over that sort of three-hour mark and the heat in the body starts to increase. So, I'd certainly recommend you know reducing fiber. 24, 48 hours before consuming some fiber on the morning of race day. Um, Other, Mm -hmm. and we go back to mistakes that we see athletes making. So, and this relates to GI distress and um, people not understanding why they're getting their GI issues on race day is they're not practicing. So they don't understand Mm -hmm. hydration. Um, They probably, most athletes don't have a very clear idea of a what their sweat rate is so how much sweat yeah. do they lose not a, and and again think about uh sweat rate like you've got to then think okay how much do i lose on the bike how much do i lose in low temperatures how, how much do i lose in high temperatures same for the run how much do i lose in the run in low temperatures how much do i lose at high temperatures then factor in how much do i lose in say zone two or how much do I lose when I'm in race pace? And mm-hmm. you need to be collecting that data. And this is, again, go back to point two of the mistakes we make, not establishing baselines, is that athletes, you, you have so much data, don't you, about like wattage and run times and all this, which are key performance metrics, but then you're missing the key performance metrics which relate to nutrition. So no understanding of sweat rate, yet you're going into a race and thinking, oh, I think I need to drink a bottle of water here or a bottle of electrolytes and actually not really understanding how much you need and therefore something breaks down along the way because you're just effectively winging it. And Yeah, two, I've got two interesting points for you there. Yeah. Then. Um, and the first will be is, is like a personal anecdote, which is I actually had uh, – I had sweat 
sweat testing done a long time ago, but then I also had it done again last summer. And it was super interesting to me that I, it actually revealed that I'm a low sodium sweater and I'd actually been taking on way too much electrolyte and that had been indirectly causing GI distress on long runs and stuff like that. So that was, and as soon as I changed that and dropped the amount of electrolytes I was drinking, it almost entirely eradicated GI issues when I was running. Yep. So that was that was my first point. And then Can as I, I was listening to you talking, that? Can I say a point on that? Oh yeah, so, sure, yeah, totally. So, so yeah. what you so what I was talking about was sweat rate. So that's talking about yeah. the volume of sweat per uh, per hour that you're losing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's liters per hour. What you're talking about is your sodium concentration in your sweat, which is and that's the second part of a hydration strategy, which is so great to hear from a practical standpoint that you actually had a really, you saw the benefit of that in that once you then go, okay, I sweat this amount and I have this much sodium that I'm losing, yeah, yeah. then it's a whole, and if, if, and you're not talking about per hour there, you're talking about per liter because your sweat rate will go up. Like your sweat rate generally will be higher on the run than it will on the bike. Your sweat rate will go mm -hmm. up as temperature goes up. So if you're going into a race, let's go, we're going St. George, and it's one of those really hot races at St. George, and it's, you know, 95. Your sweat rate suddenly up at, uh, you know, let's say I've seen rates, one, one, let's just keep it easy, 1.5 litres per hour, okay? But mm -hmm. they're losing 1.5 litres. Now, your sodium concentration per litre loss let's say, for instance, you're 600 milligrams, you start to see, okay, I'm losing 1.5 liters an hour. I lose 600 milligrams per liter. How do I start to actually get that amount of sodium into my bottles to make sure that I'm not, you know, under consuming the amount of electrolytes that I need to actually perform just the basic physiological functions? And unless you have a clear yeah. understanding of both of those factors of hydration, i.e. the rate at which you're sweating and the amount of sodium that you're consuming, you you're should be losing. consuming yeah. or losing, yeah. then yeah. your yeah. hydration strategy is only going to be subpar. And I would say to most people, most people are probably lower sodium uh, concentration yeah. sweaters than what they think. Um, if right. you don't have sure. huge salt patches all over your body at the end of races, then you're probably going to go with the average of around 600 milligrams per hour. Uh, or per yeah, liter, I was actually per lower. Liter, I, I was say, actually super low. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I was actually like 300, I think. So oh, like I, on the end, like the low end. And see, that's a game changer um, but, for and, your GI, isn't it? Because then you're like, yeah. you're like, you know, you've been can you? And look, I, I love all the different. Oh, well, I don't love all the electrolyte brands, and I probably shouldn't name any, but. Um, you know, I do, there are some out there that have high, high amounts of sodium in there and they can be very useful for some athletes, but for other athletes, they can be very, very damaging. So it's important to understand baselines, like understand what you actually need before taking on things just because someone else is doing it is what I'd say. Go back to the why are you yeah. doing this? Yeah, and so that was going to be the second the second point um, that I was going to raise there, which was, uh, and you were talking about knowing how much you sweat uh, when you're like working aerobically versus working in a hot climate. Versus, and like what, and I, you know, I know a lot of people, some people will have ex access to those tests, but what it, it, I mean. Oh yeah, how do you do it? 
how do you do it? Oh, okay. Like, you know, I was lucky in that I'm in Boulder, right? Yeah, so yeah, I can yeah. go down the street and I can get, and I can get a sweat test. Yeah. But uh, for, for maybe a listener who's like, hang on a minute, how on earth do I find out how much, how much sweat I'm losing, yeah. how much sodium I'm losing? Um, so the sweat test, the, the sweat rate is actually really easy. And this is, yeah, well, it's as easy as you want to make it. Um, effectively, after you eat and drink your last amount of fluid, before going out for a session, weigh yourself, ideally naked or at least in your um, underwear. Um, weigh yourself, make a note of it, go and do your session, make note of how much fluids you're consuming either on the bike or the run. Come back in before you drink anything or eat anything, weigh yourself again. It's then a simple calculation of how much percentage of body weight you've lost. You then obviously note down you know, the temperature, what you were doing in terms of um, bike run and so on. And then you start to see how much percentage of body weight you've been losing in those particular sessions. So you can do that manually um, on a whiteboard or in a spreadsheet, things like that. Whatever you've lost, you aim to replenish by at least 150% up to 200%. So if you lost one kilo of weight, you would aim to consume 1.5 to 2 liters of fluids after that session. Um, And that becomes especially important if you've got a following session on that day if if you're you know if you don't have a session that day coming up then you know drinking that fluid gradually over the course of the day and food will give you fluid as well you will probably find that you're actually back you know to a a hydrated state but you know if you live in a hot climate and you're not conscious of how much you're losing then you could you know one day you could end up a little bit dehydrated you do training again the next day you end up more dehydrated and you can see where the problem lies is it's that accumulative effect of dehydration that goes and you know if uh, the listeners there i know you'll hear a lot about like if you get over two if you get two percent dehydrated it will have physiological impact on uh, performance and health and that is true but I think somewhere between two and three percent is probably acceptable, and is what you're going to see in a race scenario. You're certainly going to get closer to three percent, but I certainly mm-hmm. I would not want athletes going much over, you know, or getting close to three percent uh, in terms of that hydration uh, loss and that body weight loss. But I think if you can build that, you know, bank of data over time, then you start to understand where that is. And you know, I mean, we make it easy in you know, our app, we just, they just plug in their numbers and it does all the calculations for them. And so it's, you know, but from a practical standpoint and not having to actually, um, you know, you don't have to spend a thing on that. The only thing you need is a, a set of scales and you don't need any of these fancy scales. Actually, the best scales to use are the old school um, analog ones with the, that don't connect to anything because they usually mess up all the, the tracking of weight and things like that in apps when you are doing multiple weigh-ins on on a same on the same day yeah and then and then in terms of knowing figuring out sodium um, uh, and sodium content like is there i mean there is probably not a, a non-scientific way of doing that right that is one of those where i think it's yeah i think it's a test and you know um there are companies out there that do it um so precision hydration do one um you know they do a test levelins do one um i have found I've, I think precision's accuracy may be a little bit better than Levelin's. I see the Levelin's one is usually very, very high for the amount of sodium for some reason, and maybe that's just what I'm seeing. But, um, you know, though, if you don't have access to those types of tests, then I would be thinking um, just review what your outfit 
like your your um, lycra looks like at the end of a session. If you've got heaps of white salty marks on it, then you probably have a higher amount of sodium in your sweat. If you don't have that on a regular basis, then I think aiming, as you said, your 300, somewhere between 300 and 600 is probably a good starting point. I would suggest start with lower amounts and then gradually build it up, maybe to that sort of 600 per litre. If you have all those sodium marks, I would probably start somewhere around that 700, 800 and build it up. Again, you don't have to replenish every bit of sodium lost during a session as well. And I think that's the other mistake. Someone will get told they're a thousand milligrams and they're like, Ooh, I need to put a thousand milligrams in all my bottles. And it's like, you do realize that gels and blocks and bars have sodium in it and also food that you're going to be consuming before the session and after the session also has sodium in it. So I would say generally aim for somewhere around 70% um, of that sodium intake. And that, that generally works pretty well. Yeah, and that and that brings us to uh, you know another important uh, another very very important point, which is practice what you're going to do oh. on race day. So like if you're if you know there's obviously a huge amount of trial and error that can go into the fuel that you consume for for workouts, and then but I think you know, like I think one of the things I used to do that used to work yeah. really well, and it's pretty old school, but it's like if you feel great in a workout, make a note of what you've eaten and what you've consumed and how many grams it was and blah blah blah, and and keep. And keep tabs on like that subjective feeling of how it, how you, how you performed in a workout, especially key workouts. And then like keep building on that and keep almost like storing that data and practicing it. I mean, I'm sure this is something you say until you're like blue in the face, but like practicing what you do in training, sorry, for racing in training is probably one of the most important things you can do, right, for a triathlete. Well, there, there's mistake number five <laughs> that we see. It's like <laughs> that's what they don't do. And I'm always, like I can tell you now I won't name the pro athlete, but I was talking to a pro athlete the other day and we were talking about it and, um, you know, the, the individual was talking about uh, their race day and, and understanding what they're doing and, um you know, it, it came out when the athletes started talking and they were saying like, wow, it sounds crazy now that I'm talking about it out loud because actually I don't know what I do on race day. And this is a pro athlete and it's like, what? and you're like, what? but it, it's regular. Like there's not necessarily a system in place for a lot of people talking about what they do on a regular basis in order to perform at their absolute best. And so you come back to, you need to understand, you know, and carb, carb amounts or the ability for what carbohydrates you can tolerate in race day. And you go and talk about like trends and things like look at super sapiens and look at continuous glucose monitors and people talking about carbohydrate rate intake. So what's what's really cool, whether you believe in the the glucose monitors or not, it's another topic, but, you know, rate of carbohydrate consumption, the higher amount you can consume, I think it's pretty clear in the science that you're going to go pretty well, the higher amounts you consume to a threshold mm-hmm. where potentially mm-hmm. if you go over that threshold, you're going to make yourself sick, um, either mm-hmm. with upper or lower GI issues. But if you, uh, to your point, Mary, is like, if you haven't noted how much carbs you can consume and how you're building on that and where your threshold is, then you're not going to actually 
be able to take that into a race day with any confidence and go, this is yeah. what I do on race day. And it is so, I have a plan A and I have a plan B based on what's happening yeah. and how I'm feeling and the race conditions yeah. and that, but it is mechanical. And I can tell you now yeah. working, I mean, work with hundreds of athletes and triathletes, when they start putting it into practice and actually going, wow, I never realized I only consumed 30 grams of carbs an hour. And now they get to 40 grams, then they get to 50 and then they get to 60 and they're like, oh, I feel so much better during sessions now. And I don't get that crampy feeling. And then my recovery yeah. is better. And then they're like, well, how high can I go? And I'm like, well, we keep going until you get to the point where you don't feel comfortable. And so mm -hmm. now we're seeing with male and female athletes, because they're repetitive, they record it in the app, they, they can see how many grams per hour they're doing it, it you know, calculates you know, how many grams of carbs in all their products, their gels, their blocks, it does all the heavy lifting for them. They, they see this trend over time and now they're like, holy hell, I'm at like, you know, I'm a 60 kilo female and I'm consuming 85 grams an hour and I feel like a bull. And it's like, yes, that's what you want to hear. And it's like, it's so cool to see them like, just be methodical. I, I think I'm very type A, aren't I? So um, I, like, well, I, like, I, mean, I like process, I like protocols, I like structure. And so when I see athletes starting to build structure into their training day, not just from a like jumping in the pool or doing a bike session or doing a, a run, they're actually building in some sort of process from a nutrition standpoint. It's like, okay, now we're winning. Now we're starting to get somewhere. Yeah. And I think, I think what I'm hearing there is, and I think one of the, also the important spin-off points from that is like, yeah, obviously like trial and error and experimenting and what works for you. And I think when it comes to nutrition, it's like, what is, what works for athlete A is not necessarily going to work for athlete B. Absolutely. But like what you're saying, what you're saying there is like experiment with carbohydrate intake and figure out what works for you and where that point is like, oh man, if I consume X grams, I'm going to feel great. If I consume Y grams, I'm going to feel like disastrously bad. Yep. Uh, I, you know, like what, what I'm hearing you say there is like figure it out and, and know. And then I think, you know, like not only physiologically, then you get into race day, you get into the race, you know what works oh, yeah. physiologically, but also from a mental standpoint, yep. like you're, you have this confidence, which eases so many other like hormonal, you know, anxiety related things in your, in your brain and in your system, like you just have this confidence to execute that just, I think really will help you achieve the performance you're looking to achieve yeah. so yeah it becomes um, it becomes automatic like you you're like well this is what i do on on race day yeah. and you know yeah. go back to what we talked about like macronutrients and we don't eat we do eat carbs but you're from the practical standpoint you know you talked about then you said like what carbs work for you you need to work out from a palatability standpoint and a texture yeah. step, like you know yeah. flavor <laughs> texture if you haven't if you haven't tried the gels that actually you know you could some of the gels are horrible uh oh. you, know, you try and swallow that down you have a gag reflex and you try and do <laughs> try and do one of those every 15 minutes if you're, i mean good luck to you but so you've got to find yeah. the actual products that you like you know, you've got yeah. to practice with those products. You've got to practice with that flavor. You know, you're talking 70, let's talk Ironman. Can you consume those products for 10 hours? You know, that's a really yeah, important I mean, point, isn't it? Like, you know, and a 70.3, what products are you going to use for a 70.3 versus a Ironman? There, there probably is going to be a little bit of difference in 
what products you're going to be consuming in an Ironman versus a 70.3 just purely from a distance perspective and total caloric requirements. So I think it's really important to think about those things from a, like forget the science sometimes and go down the practical route and go, oh yeah, actually I can't swallow that product yet. I keep using it and I don't know why I keep using it, but Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's really funny. And certain products, and we're obviously we're not going to name name brands no. and name names, but like there are certain products that just have like this reputation. Like I remember doing this long run uh, when I was first getting into ultra running and doing a long run with a friend who's an experienced ultra runner. And I was asking her, you know, picking her brains and asking her advice. And she was like, no, 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 definitely <laughs> don't take that. Everybody I know that uses that shits their pants yep. and like you know it's like <laughs> and it's I, I hear it all the and, time and they're like i get gi distress and i don't know why and then they're like these are the products i eat and i'm like well we're going to remove that one that one that one and we're going to try this one this one this one and they're like wow i don't get any problems anymore it's like i mean look at the ingredients first and foremost people like you know if that yeah. if that product is full of like let's say you're eating whole foods as well and there, there's a whole different topic about should you be eating whole foods and training for that for race day you know i don't know we'll talk about yeah. that another time but you know if those products yeah. have heaps of dates in them like you're probably going to end up with some problems. You know, do they have sorbitol in them? Do they have xylitol in them? These artificial sweeteners, which are known laxatives, like things like that. Look at an ingredient list on there and go, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Or heaps of high fructose corn syrup, just from a, a standpoint of the fructose, if you're consuming huge amounts of fructose, that's probably going to result in GI distress. And yeah, yeah. It's like little things that can make a huge difference to, you know, something that you try and th- and that, you know, we'll probably wrap up soon, but you know, the think about like how much effort you put into training for yes. a race and then how little effort and time you put into nutrition for majority of people. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and it's actually the nutrition thing that brings them unstuck on race day. Yes. It's like, yeah. oh, light bulb moment. Okay. Maybe yeah. I should apply a little bit more attention to my nutrition. And you know this is sure. this is coming from a nutrition person, so I'm obviously a little bit biased. But you know, talking to coaches around the world, like I think the really good coaches now and now, like they're pretty switched onto this, and they're like, "Hey, if you really want to be good, you've got to lift weights. You've got to see a strength conditioning trainer or work with a you know get a good training program. You've got to do your training program from the three disciplines. And hey, you've got to be thinking about your nutrition strategies to maximize you know health." Yeah. performance and recovery and all the elements yeah. that nutrition entails in that. And when you tackle those sort of three pillars, I think now then you're starting to go, okay, this athlete's going to be pretty healthy and pretty high performing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I could not agree with you more. And, uh, and I think, you know, and I think that completely, well, that can, that's a nice conclusion to the show too, and, you know, a nice conclusion to our chat because I think the two of us are um, definitely prone to talk for nutrition about f- for about five hours if we don't wrap it up soon. <laughs> yeah, but um, but no, you're right. Like, like, but like, like combining the the training with like, well, and, and in the topic of training, we we talk, we, we can include swim, bike, run, and strength, like you said, yep. and then backing that up with the day to day fueling refueling you know recovering properly with the right foods and and coming at it from a health standpoint versus purely a performance standpoint i think then like you say like you're in a really great place to go tackle a strong season and and season after season so um yeah I, so yeah we better we better wrap it up because it's going to be the end of the weekend for you soon but um that's <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic um, and uh, look i 
you know, it's global concepts, isn't it? And, you know, within that nutrition realm, does sleep fit into that? Where does that fit? You know, there's recovery, right? right? There's, there's so much, but it's think big picture is always my advice to athletes. Like don't, don't focus on, I mean, everyone you talk about nutrition, everyone will focus on supplements, don't they? Uh, yeah. You know, and that's a whole nother topic as well. Like supplements are important, but they're not going to, you know, they're not going to make you a healthy athlete. They're not going to make you a high performing athlete. They're just part of the puzzle. Um, yeah, so yeah, think, yeah. think big picture, as you said, and I think the way you summed it up there is fantastic. Yeah, no. And, and we got to talk about pooping your pants. So like, that's, that's <laughs> it. That's the end of the show. That's the end of the show for me. <laughs> You've always got to But no, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Scott. We really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll definitely, uh, well, I think we'll have you on again at some point in the future, because there is like so many different things to, and so many avenues to, to go down here. And, um, We'll obviously have we'll obviously continue to have you uh, writing content for us on triathlete.com too. So he's not going anywhere. But thanks very much, Scott. Nice, so great, and thank you so much for having me. You bet. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. Rate and review us as it helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. Next up, we're joined by Chris Foster, our executive editor and resident gear guru, who in this part of the show would typically be talking us through all of the gear and gadgets related to our topic. But this month, he decides it's time to ask me the questions. So listen in as he puts me on the spot asking me about some of my favorite fueling products. We chat about the differences in fueling bike and run sessions, as well as how we've both changed our fuel and nutrition over the years. Oh, and when he closes out our chat asking me for my biggest fueling mistake, I'm already regretting being as honest as I was. Alas, here is our chat with Chris. Hello, Chris, the gear guru is in the house. How are you today, sir? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm here. How are you, EK? Oh, tired, but here. Well, that's a, that's a <laughs> pump in the start, isn't it? <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that, I think, later. Okay, okay. Teaser, oh, teaser got, alert. Chris has got yeah. some stories coming up. I've Watch got out stories. For yep. <gasps> He's got stories. Well, I'm pretty good. I just had my third coffee of the morning, so watch nice. out, people. <laughs> so very opposite ends of the spectrum right now. I'm like yeah. living in a fog world, and you're like living in probably laser world. Mm, yeah there's lights and there's lasers and there's monkeys dancing over here it's great <laughs> well I'm, awesome. I'm well fueled for the uh for the nutrition episode of yeah. uh, of our podcast so yeah we're going to be talking all things fueling and nutrition today which uh, i'm pretty excited about it's one of my little areas of nerdy expertise yes uh, so kind of on that note i was thinking we would um, flip the script a little bit because it is not my area of expertise. I am garbage what? at nutrition. And so I think I would rather interview you, EK. Whoa, Chris. <laughs> Taking Hang control on. of the podcast. Hang on. We didn't discuss this. <laughs> <laughs> so EK, let's talk about nutrition. Let's talk about, um, I don't know, just what do you think about nutrition right now? <laughs> what do I think about nutrition right now? After three coffees. Woo. Oh, that's... <laughs> Well, actually, you know, uh, I think it's one of those areas, especially when it comes to endurance sports, especially when it comes to triathlon, our little niche world, that there is just so much stuff out there right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally wherever you turn, you can find something that's promising you that you're going to get faster and you know, faster, recover faster, race faster, you know, all the things. Um, 
So, and I think the biggest takeaway there is really finding what you like, what works for you, what works for your gut, what works for your brain, what works for your body, yeah. uh, practicing, practicing with it, uh, in, in, you know, practicing your entire race, race day, you know, fueling strategy in training so that you really know that what you're doing is, is working for you, which is kind of what we've obviously touched on earlier in the show with, with, um, Scott, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really speak to that enough, to be honest. <laughs> well, let's let's do a little bit of specifics. Um, kind of like you've been racing for a while. Um, and I think probably just like me or like anyone, you know, what you use kind of changes over the years. Is there are there products that you've kind of evolved with? What did you start with? And like, where did you where do you where are you now with your nutrition? Yeah, I mean, it's like anything, really. It's, it's like gear too. Right? you know, you as you as you grow up in the sport, you change things based on experiences. But um, yeah, oh, when I think back to Little EK, when I started <laughs> racing in Little EK racing in 2004, 2005, yeah, I mean, I mostly just forced gels down my neck. And yeah, um, oh, yeah oh. that's the same way. You just did it because it was like, well, I don't know what else to do. That's what people yeah. do. Yeah. Like, um, and actually, well, talking like of evolution, like it's pretty cool. I used to use science and sport gels, which were big. Well, oh, yeah. very big back in the day in England then. Still, and, and they've evolved too. And now, yeah. I mean, they're obviously over here now. Um, I used to use their isotonic gels a lot, which you don't have to take on any water with. They are ready made. So they, they're like chunkier to carry, but they're easier oh, to yeah. get down. Kind of a weird um, consistency, right? Though, like, yeah. like a like half between a gel and like a, yeah. a liquid, right? Yeah. Almost yeah, more yeah. liquid than gel. Yeah, I've tried yeah. that. Yeah. And they're still around. They're still yeah. around, and they they offer some pretty high caffeine caffeinated versions now too. Um, hmm. And cliff cliff shots. Um, yep. I think everybody's got their favorite cliff shot, and well, or their or probably their least favorite, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what you hate the least is the one that's best. <laughs> oh yeah, I think those ones that you've kind of gagged on the most, are the ones that you have the worst like <laughs> memories of, obviously. But um, but in terms of like when I yeah, then I when I started racing longer. Yeah, I definitely moved to more real food, more more yeah. energy bars, chews, uh, energy chews, um, Coke. I mean, uh, we could I could do a whole podcast about Coca Cola. <laughs> I would have died many times if it wasn't for Mexican Coke. Oh my goodness! Now, kind of um, on this note, like we we're talking about evolving. Do you think what you've been able to handle in your stomach has evolved? Because I know you said you started out with gels and isotonic things, obviously super easy to digest. Mm. Um, and then you've moved to real foods and I'm just kind of spraying this on you, but yeah. is, do you feel like, cause I a little bit feel like I can handle more like different things yeah, than I could there is, before. There is definitely a lot of truth to the whole training, training your gut. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely yeah, like, and in the last couple of years I've kind of dabbled in the ultra running world and mm -hmm. you know, there's people, there's a lot of people who are like, you have to learn to tolerate eating this much. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's definitely a process that is involved with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think you get used to, you train your body, you train your gut, um, yeah. for what works for you. So yeah. I've, I can definitely, I can definitely, I, I mean, I could never, um, eat bars while running, but I could, yeah. I, you know, I definitely move towards, um, a whole lot more bars while riding and which yeah. I, I don't think I ever did before. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's very and, interesting. Very cool. And, well, a, what and a ton of a ton of real food too, you know, like the um bike rides fueled by jerky and boiled eggs and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So well, that's pretty yeah. intense. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever yeah. had that. 
Um, <laughs> all right. So if you had to pick one, what's the best flavored gel you've had? Oh, that's such a rough question, Chris. I know. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, like I, some of the last year or maybe a couple of years ago when I first started training for an ultra, I discovered, I was told about the spring fuel gels. Oh yeah. I've heard um, about those. A lot of runners are, use those. Yeah. A lot, yeah. a very, very good ultra runner put me onto them. And then I yeah. discovered that there's this whole world of ultra runners who all love them. And they're pretty much real, made of real food. They're like hmm. a lot of them. Um, the basis of them is basmati rice, bananas, or like some kind of fruit puree. Um, they're, they're, I, I actually find them relatively easy to get down, and oh, they they quite they, a lot of them are quite high calorie too. So yeah. you know, you, when you're just looking to get a high calorie hit that's easy to get down, then I think they're probably my favorite. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I got to try those. I've, you're like the third person who's talked about those and I need to, I need to get my hands on some. Um, yeah, very cool. they're very good. They're very yeah. good. So kind of, there is, I feel like there is a difference, you know, we're talking about ultra runners, give us advice on this stuff. Um, but you know, are there foods that you prefer on the bike, the prefer on the run, you just can't handle on the bike. You can't handle on the run. What, what do you, what do you like on each? Yeah, I definitely find, I think I probably speak for a lot of triathletes when I say like, I find eating on the bike to do, to be generally a lot easier um and obviously like the mechanics of of the movement are very different to running so that makes it a whole lot easier but yeah on the bike i would say i definitely lean towards more real food yeah. um cliff cliff bars there's um a small company called kate's real food bars that i recently discovered oh, i like those too um, those are great yeah yeah really really good really just feel like you're fueling your body with good stuff um right. bobo bars similar yep. yep um but yeah and then as i mentioned i got into this this is with long time i mean in fact this is when I used to live in LA, I got into this one winter, I spent the entire winter riding using only real food. I mean, talk about triathlete, talk about <laughs> triathlete in LA. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, sweet potato bags of sweet potatoes, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yep. Bags of sweet potatoes, <laughs> um, boiled eggs that I could oh. crack. I could crack while riding on my top tube. <laughs> really? Yes. That is fascinating. I've never heard of that. That is and going up, you know, the bottom of, you probably know the bottom of the Latigo climb. I yep. used to uh, shell my eggs as I started the climb up to Latigo. <laughs> and I had a training partner who, who, if she came up behind me, like maybe, you know, we weren't riding together that day, but she, yeah. she climbed Latigo later that day. She'd be like, oh, I knew that you'd been up Latigo today. I saw the bald eggshell. <laughs> and I remember. <laughs> what is that like? Uh, Hansel and Gretel? Is that where they leave yeah, the trail? Yeah. Totally. You're like the Hansel and Gretel up Latigo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that was, but most, I mean, if you want to do that, that is, can be quite a commitment, obviously. And, yeah. and so there's definitely a place for cliff bars. There's definitely a place for yeah. energy bars for sure. Uh, and I always, always drink either plain water or weak electrolytes on the bike. And then when it comes to running, I do tend to lean towards more kind of liquids, ca getting calories from liquids and or energy shoes, um, just because yeah. I find that easier um, yeah. in terms of getting it down and making sure you've got that sustenance coming in. Yeah. Any of your, any favorite liquids? Oh yeah. So since doing big, big long runs, um, I have really, really enjoyed using infinite nutrition and I, I know, know they do, you can, they've got a pretty cool setup whereby you can custom make your own mix. Yeah. But I've actually never dabbled in that. I know you've dabbled in that a little I bit. I used that. You? Yeah. I used it for yeah. their, um, for their recovery and we can get to right. that in a minute, but, um, but yeah, it's a great system. I mean, it's not cheap. 
like you kind of break down, right. you know, the the cost per gram or whatever, and you're like, whoa. But it's yeah. really cool and it's really good. Yeah. And that, I think to be honest with you, that's kind of a general theme with a lot of this stuff is it is expensive. Yeah. So if you if you do have real food or other options that you you know, if you're on a budget, there are definitely ways to cut costs a little bit and try and yeah. do it in you know, the homemade way. But um, I've actually, so I've never used the custom, I've never made my own kind of custom blend with infinite, but I have mm. used their ready-made options. And um, that my favorite ready-made option they have is uh, GoFar endurance fuel, which uh-huh. um, you, you can make it up into 16 ounces. Um, and it, it packs like a heavy punch, like 300 calories. Um, more than 16 more ounces. Than, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so beast. actually sometimes, Sometimes I use that like diluted because yeah. you know like on in a lot more than that. So wow. um, and it's some and it's got a little bit of protein, a, a big hit of carbs, like sixty. I think it's around the 60, 70 gram carb mark, oh, wow. and yeah, um, just enough protein to keep you satiated, like four grams of protein. And but yeah. their and, and their custom electrolyte blend, which is big, uh-huh. um, you know, so a big hit of electrolytes. Um, and I've just found that I, I've discovered in long, long sessions that like. Um, taking notes or being aware of how you feel obviously during and afterwards is a big indicator of what works for you and what you can, you should keep using. And I just found on like big, big runs, um, you know, three hour plus runs, um, my mood would be constant. Um, as in I'd feel, I'd feel, you know, I just feel consistently okay or consistently good or whatever when I use, when I use this stuff. And I think that's a big indicator of that it's working for you. Yeah, because um, you don't want those big spikes because they always right. come with a back end, you know. You yeah. feel like that forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and Tailwind offers a bunch of different, uh, if you're looking for an alternative, there's also, it's also worth looking at Tailwind. They have a, a bunch of different products like that that are also pretty high carb, high calorie, yeah. good electrolytes. Yeah. Um, what about uh, like low, low, no carb stuff? Yeah, because obviously not everybody wants to get there calories from fluid and, and some people want to drink just for hydration versus for calories. Um, mm-hmm. and the noon range, I mean, I know that noon's pumped a ton of money and, and time and, and, and investment into improving their range and their latest range is really, really good. Yeah. Uh, and I know you've used that a bit, haven't you? Oh um, yeah. I yeah. love noon. And, and I yeah. love the fact that like, I kind of feel like they do, they go like the extra mile, like just, mm-hmm. you know, with their ingredients and their sourcing yeah. and stuff. Like no one was ever telling them like, Hey, we need to know where everything's being sourced. We need everything to be clean, but they're just like, nah, we're going to get ahead of it and yeah, do it because we believe in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that about them. I think that's very yeah. cool. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. And, um, I think also liquid IV is one that I've fairly mm. recently discovered in the last year or so. You did a review um, on that, right? Not, like yeah. a, a little while ago, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just really, really good. Like it's one, again, taking note of how you feel as you're training and performing. That's one of those where the first few times I used it, I was just like, whoa, this stuff is making an impact. Like this stuff, I can feel, I feel better for this. Yeah. Um, really. And, and, you know, sometimes with dehydration, if, you, if you're not the best at hydrating and staying on top of hydration, then it can get away from you pretty quickly. And once you, once you're dehydrated, it's very hard to come back from that. It's, yeah. it's relatively easier to come back from bonking right. and to, and to, you know, um, shove a bunch of sugar in your mouth. But when it comes to hydration, that's way harder. And I think yeah. the effects can be way more pernicious. Oh, yeah. So, um, but liquid IV, I, I, they do have a, uh, unique, uh, blend of electrolytes that 
seems that for me anyway i would advise people try it obviously but um for me i i do really feel the the effects and the benefits for that um and another yeah yeah, and then i guess another popular one would be scratch a lot of people big fans of scratch a lot Yeah. yeah yeah i really like the ingredients in that i think that's very they, they keep it pretty natural, a lot less, you know, dextrose and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so that's very cool. Yeah. How about speaking of natural and not natural, how about chews? <laughs> <laughs> the least natural thing that's ever existed. <laughs> yeah. And aren't they funny? Cause like they are something that it took me a little while to learn to chew, especially yeah. in races. Like I start, yeah. I first started using them when I was racing 70.3. And just sometimes like the thought even, and so obviously then your heart rate, you're, you're running, especially like on the, you know, the back end of the half marathon, you're running around threshold and like it's super hard to even think about getting anything down. But I learned to just like put these, put a chew or two in the side of my mouth and just like crush it down <laughs> to the point where it, I didn't have to actually chew it too much. Oh really? Um, and that's, and that's how I learned to chew chews. <laughs> um, Almost sounds but, like you're like. Like, you know, people use chewing tobacco. They just kind of like put it in their lip and <laughs> if you're going to see EK with a big old lipper, it's, it's a chew. It's not, it's not tobacco. <laughs> that would be something. Oh my God. Like the sheriff off of, um, oh. Um, Dukes you know, Hazard? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what American pop culture reference is EK going to go to? Dukes yeah, Hazard immediately. You always know how to finish my sentences when it comes to American pop culture. Cause I'm like, oh, I just started something I can't finish. Um, but honey stingers chew, honey stinger chews. They have like a caffeinated version, a cola mm. caffeinated version and a strawberry mm. version that's non-caffeinated. I like them. Mm. Um, cliff blocks. I mean, they've got a massive range now, and yeah. all, all kinds of things. I think, um, the margarita version has sadly no alcohol, but a lot of sodium. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so close. Come on guys. That's right. <laughs> and talking of scratch, they also have some really good, uh, energy chews. Yeah. Um, I used that. yeah, yeah. They're, they're pretty palatable again, like the scratch drink drinks range, pretty palatable and, um, good ingredients. So, yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. one one thing that's been coming up a lot lately is, and I'm not, probably not going to say it right because I've never used it, but Martin, Martin. Yeah, you know how to say it? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think it's Martin, but yeah, it sounds um, weird when I say it out loud, like Martin. Yeah, <laughs> like name. So it's spelled M A U R T E N, right? Yeah, yeah. People um, swear by it. I saw a big story about how like it's scientifically proven to be like to absorb better or something like that. And I just haven't gotten my hands on any yet. Yeah, maybe I'll get some in to test because I've never yeah. used it. But again, like, yeah, I've got friends who swear by it. Um, yeah. And I know their drink mix is pretty popular and it's gels too, right? Or gel mixes. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's next on our list. So. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll reach out to them, see what we can get. Um, yeah. But yeah. And so, but yeah, so earlier in the show, you mentioned that you were covering or you're in a, you're in a foggy, <laughs> you're in a foggy haze. Yes, I was tired. And, tired and fog. <laughs> and you did a little bit of a, a little bit of a workout yesterday. Is that right? Yes. Tell us so, about that. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I basically <laughs> made you ask me. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been planning on doing this long run for about a month. There's a, a fastest known time. It's FKT. Um, for listeners who don't know what that is, it's just, you know, you pick a route and they have them all over the world. And um, you just try to get the fastest time for that route. It's kind of like Strava, but typically like longer runs. Mm-hmm. And there's not a leaderboard. So you only get your name on if you get the time. Um, you know, it's not like if you get second or third, you get your name on there too. 
Um, but so there's this big, like across the bay from where I live in LA, there's this huge mountain that it's in Orange County and it just like, it just taunts me every day when I walk my dog. It's just like sitting out there and I'm like, I bet I could run up that mountain and I bet I could, I bet it'd be like really fun. So it's the, um, Silverado peak, I guess in the Santa Ana mountains. And I found this route on F or fastestknowntimes.com that Mm -hmm. takes you from the ocean at Dana point. So like the water's edge all the way, yeah, all the way through, um, basically entire, the entire width of orange County up to the top of the Santa Ana mountains, which is the highest point in orange County. So you go from the lowest point of orange County to the highest point and it's 30 miles and 7,000 feet of gain and like, Wow. Five, yeah. I think 5,500 of that comes in the last eight miles. Ooh. So it's like, yeah. So it was like pretty flat for 22 miles. And then it was like, vroom, like straight, oh, nice. like crazy, like 20 to 30% grade. So brutal. Yikes. Um, yeah. So I was, I was great through 22 miles and then I hit the the mountain and like, you know, just like everything, the wheels started to come off. It started pouring rain on me. It was like 40 oh. degrees. Like, I'm just like, I had this vision of me like coming up the mountain, like looking down into the valley and it was gonna be beautiful, this great moment. I just like got up to the top, hit stop on my watch, got the hell out of there. Um, oh. <laughs> I was just like, get me out. Like, you know, like one of those times where you're like, I'm really far from help. Like I had enough nutrition, but I was cold and wet. And you just like, you kind of start to panic a little bit. You're like, I got to get like down now. Um, you know, Ooh. in case I slip or, you know, something happens. And yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was, I mean, it was mostly fun, but uh, mostly fun. <laughs> mostly fun. I'm glad I did it. I probably wouldn't do it again. Um, but I did oh, get, so it comes under the category of most fun. I never want to have again. Yes, exactly. Right. So yeah, like, I've got a few it, of those. It was definitely cool. And now I can look out of that mountain and be like, yep, I ran up that and it's as bad as it looks. So, wow. Um, so how did you fuel that? So I, um, let's see, what did I do? I took half or I guess two thirds of my hydration was tailwind, mm-hmm. um, which I like a lot. And then about one third of it was scratch because I only had that much scratch left when I <laughs> left in the morning. <laughs> um, and then I used, uh, bonk breakers nice. along the way. And, yeah. and I used to use them way back in the day. And I, I so did I, yes. they kind of disappear. I think something might've happened. There might've been a restructuring or something, you know, whatever. But I was just looking up cause like, you know, when you're running and it was self-supported. So I, you know, I couldn't have anyone handing me anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to carry a lot. Yeah. And I'm looking up, try to find like small bars with high, for me, high calories. I actually yeah. need, I need fat more than yeah. most. Yeah. So high fat, medium protein, obviously the carbs you need. So and I just stumbled back upon bonk breaker. I'm like, oh my God, I love those back in the day. Yes. But they're, they're heavy hitters and they're small, like real small. I think they're like 280 calories for those tiny little. Some of them. Yeah. I, in fact, talking about what did you used to use and what did you, yeah, they, cause they're based at, they were based out of Santa Monica. Yeah. 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 yeah and their exactly. peanut butter jelly bars were used to be my absolute fave. Yeah. That's what I used the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I, awesome. I know I was like reintroduced to these these bars, they worked so well. And, um, and I used, I used, uh, I used some noon too, just to supplement. Um, and I actually did have some of those margarita blocks. I just, nice. my thing is I just throw everything at myself. <laughs> like, yeah. Like yeah. I just, 
like, cause I just know, you know, you never know when you get out there, you're like, Oh, this is going to taste terrible. And I'm not going to want that. Like right. I brought, I brought, um, those honey stinger stroop waffles thinking I want those. Yeah. And like the thought of it during the run, I was just like, no, yeah, absolutely yeah. not. I cannot yeah. eat that. So yeah, I was glad it's I had so- other things. So yeah, I think that's always so good to do is like have options because you don't yeah. really ever know what your brain and gut is going to be saying yes or no to. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, spe- I mean, I've done an Ironman and yeah, you think you're like, oh, I mean, I want these gels, you know, in my aid bag or in my special needs bag. And you're just, when you get there, it's like, absolutely not. Like there's no yeah. way I'm putting that in my body. So that's probably right. a good tip, you know, yeah, like definitely backups if it's possible. Yeah. For anybody heading out on any kind of like epic adventure or even like Ironman or, mm-hmm. yeah, but certainly like long, longer beyond Ironman, I think you really don't know what your body's going to want and need. And so having options, especially salty, I think the longer yeah. you're out there, the saltier, the better. Yeah. And they um, won't sound good before the race because, you know, before the race, you're kind of, you know, you've got a little nervous stomach and the thought of yeah. something like that, you're just like, Oh, that would be horrible. But then yeah. you get out into it and you're like, yeah, I want, they used to have a, um, Oh man, I can't remember this cliff. Yeah. I think it was cliff. They had like naturals cliff naturals. Cliff no, has a lot of, yeah, yeah, they have um, a bunch of different bars that are salty, salty and sweet. And uh, well, it was a gel, but yeah, it's oh, okay. It, and it was like margarita pizza gel. Oh, and ooh. you're just like, at the time, you're like, no, I don't want that. But then I had one during Iron Man, and I was just like, this is precisely what I want. It's just yeah. like pizza sauce, I think, pretty much. Oh, but it was oh. good, it was amazing. It like saved me, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be one of the biggest things I'd change. When I did Leadville last year, I remember at mile 50, all I wanted was something salty. I was at the aid station at mile 50, and I was like, ah, where are all my cheese and Marmite sandwiches? I don't even (laughs) – and I only packed one or two, and I really needed more. Oh, funny. Very funny. Well, what about – let's see. We talked about big big run stuff. What about recovery? We haven't talked about recovery stuff yet. Yeah, I mean, again, that's – that's another classic kind of example of there are so many things out there yeah. and find find what you like and then stick with it. Yeah. Um, find what works for you. I mean, I've always been a fan of, of Osmo nutrition mm. been with, you know, I was sponsored with them when they first started out, I was sponsored by them when they first started out back in the day and then just kind of stayed on like a lot of their recovery products are really, really good. Mm. And they've got a product out now at the moment called uh, rapid recovery, mm. which is a really, you know, it delivers a good hit of protein. It tastes good. Mm-hmm. it's easy to get down um which is obviously a big deal when you've just done a workout that you and you want to get fuel back in refuel um making sure it's palatable because some of those protein shakes and things are like whoa no yeah. good yeah um yeah. and then there's also another one that's plant-based called plant works which is oh, a yeah, 20 20 gram protein hit yeah. um and i also like that a lot um so yeah. How about you? What, yeah. what did you take after? What did you take after your FKT run yesterday? So I will tell you, you say stick with what works and that stuff. My, my theory is completely opposite. I will eat <laughs> anything and everything that is near me. So I, <laughs> I am literally like, there's a seven 11. What kind of disgusting recovery bars do they have in there? And it'll be like, oh. you know, like tiger's milk or like it's some <laughs> awful, you know, it's like a log and it's like 300 grams of protein but it's like awful protein and it's like 50 cents and you're just like what am i eating um i've got this little image of you as a pac-man now oh yeah i just i i told my wife yesterday i was just like she's like what are you gonna want for dinner and i said all the burritos and she's like well what do you mean and i'm like i need every burrito in our town like the all the burritos they have in our city right now (laughs) nice so so yeah immediately after i had presence of mind to give my ride a 
yeah, probably a recovery bar. I bought at a gas station. Yeah. And then I just found the nearest Mexican food place and had a carnitas burrito with guacamole because I need need fat, like avocados, like just as fast as possible. And then I think I had a cheesesteak later. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but but listening to your body, your body will tell you what it needs and wants. And that yeah. is the biggest indicator of, of uh, you know, what you actually, you know, what you're actually requiring. Yeah. And, and granted, like, you know, my thing yesterday, I was just like done with something. So I'm like, I just mm-hmm. need, you know, whatever. But like, yeah. obviously, if you're working out and you're trying to train for performance and, you know, get better and stuff, you know, more probably to your method. I think there is something to be said, because I'm not just being like, every time you finish a workout, eat a cheesesteak, like you're not going <laughs> to, you know, you're not going to recover <laughs> properly. Um, so, but I think to your point, I think there is something to be said for, you know, going with what you know, um, if yeah. you're trying to, you know, recover properly and be ready for the next day or, yeah. um, you know, actually improve rather than just get tired. <laughs> which is what I am right now. <laughs> oh, it's the Monday morning fog on a Tuesday. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But All anyway, right, good, so, good job on that. That sounds like a beast. Yes. Thank you. All right. So now I get to spring the final question on you this time. Um, oh, no. what is the, yeah, get, this is payback time. Embarrassing oh, question. What is the worst race day nutrition mistake you've ever made? And we'll need details on how badly it went. Um, oh man, you're putting me on the spot. Oh, the first thing that's come to mind, I'm not even sure I should share in the public domain, but, um, (laughs) which means you should. (laughs) Okay. Um, well this, this goes back a few years to when beet juice. So you can, you can already tell what's, (laughs) how this is going to end up, right? (laughs) We're starting. A story that tells itself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's, we're probably looking at around, uh, I don't know, 2014 ish time, 15, um, beet juice was all the rage. Um, obviously it's still popular now, but this is when it was first hitting headlines for endurance athletes. And I decided maybe this is why I'm such a big advocate of always practice what you're going to do. Um, (laughs) in race, it was We were going in, it was race week for 70.3 vine man. Um, mm-hmm. up in California, Northern California, which was a race I loved and I always used to love racing there yeah. and, uh, in great shape thought, uh, stood a good chance of, you know, winning podium, whatever, and decided in race week to really, really, really hit the beet juice hard. Cause I'd read all these things about <laughs> how good it was for endurance and sleep it. and all the things. <laughs> um, also quite high in fiber, it turns out. Oh, and no. then on race day, I had a great race. Um, uh-huh. And I think I came off the bike in maybe like, maybe like second or third. Wow. And then uh, running through the vineyards as you do in that race. Um, And I think, yeah, like we're still in the top three up in with like sort of, uh, I don't know. I want to say like maybe three miles to go, two miles to go. And then one of the girls behind me bridged up and we were in kind of like one of those classic kind of shoulder to shoulder, like she'd surge, I'd, I'd bridge up, she'd surge, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then I was like, yeah, I think we must've been in third and fourth. Mm-hmm. So I was holding on for a podium spot yeah, and like, yeah. it was a decent payday then. And I, that was back in the day when I'd get podium bonuses. So it was like, you know, I was kind of yeah. doing the math as I was running along. Like this is, <laughs> this is worth some cash, EK, like yeah. hang in there. And then my stomach was just like, uh, uh, not happy. <laughs> oh, no. And I knew like I needed to get to a porta potty pretty fast. Oh but, no. Um, the beet juice, the beet juice was, I, I'm, I'm assuming it was beet juice because I'd done nothing else wrong. Yeah. Well, that and, sounds about right. When you change your diet the week of and it's all beet juice. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that's and brutal. Let's just say things didn't go so well. Oh. I finished fourth. I, did, I, I, I missed the podium. I finished fourth, and oh. it was um, pretty beaty. Oh, damn you, beats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. That was pretty grim, and I'm actually now just like, oh. Anybody, if anybody was there that remembers that, they're probably listening to this and being like, oh, yeah, I, rem- I do remember that. <laughs> People don't forget, EK. People don't forget. <laughs> for, for years, I was like, I hope nobody has any photo evidence. Uh, now, and now Chris is going to be like searching oh, the internet for it. I'm already and he's going to turn it into in. a Giphy. He's turning oh, yeah. it into a Giphy as we yep. speak. Yeah. Yep. I'm searching for it while we're talking right now. I'll find it. Right. Um, so there you go. That's my... Uh, yeah, that's probably one of my worst, if not the worst, that I really <laughs> can't believe I've just shared in a public space. Awesome. Fantastic. Perfect place to end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks for turning the tables on us today, Chris. And, yeah, you're um, welcome. Thank you for your story. <laughs> <laughs> it may yet be edited out. We shall see. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, yeah, we hope that uh, has helped some some folks with some of their uh, nutrition and fuel questions yeah, absolutely i think we uh, i think we know a little bit more than the average bear yeah absolutely cool cool thanks chris yep no problem ek thank you okay so hopefully you're now a little more in the know when it comes to fueling and nutrition and you've enjoyed our show thank you for joining us on this month's fitter and faster and if you haven't already please subscribe to fitter and faster by triathlete wherever you listen to your pods And if you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate and review us. It helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. We'll be back next month to talk all things bike fitting. But until then, happy training.